Hello, darling listeners, and greetings from the Atypical Behavior Analyst, your place in space to hear conversational information about the science of behavior analysis. I'm your host, Kelly, and welcome to episode 42. And before we jump into today's episode, let's go over some quick housekeeping. So first off, we are ACE approved. So if you're listening for continuing education units, jot down the two key words interspersed during the talk, and then take those over to our website, atypicalba.com, where you can purchase CEUs. And take a few minutes to cruise around the site to find additional resources for each episode and more information about our fabulous guests. Next, if you'd like to stay up to date with upcoming talks and live events, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Our live events are a great time to hang out, learn, and interact with our guests, and social media is a great way to get to know the podcast. So reach out and say hello. You can also rate and provide feedback on your favorite listening platforms to help further our dissemination mission. And lastly, stick around after the talk to hear a preview clip from episode 43. And now, on to today's knowledge. I regard the theater as the greatest of all art forms, the most immediate way in which a human being can share with another in the sense of what it means to be a human being. Oscar Wilde. There's been a lot of discussion about empathy and compassion when it comes to providing behavior analytic services. Sometimes professionals get so caught up in the science that they can miss some of the more engaging and, dare we say, fun ways to learn and incorporate concepts, yet still provide successful programs. It's difficult to define empathy and compassion, yet the quote from Oscar Wilde shows how using theater can help others understand more about their fellow man. So in this super cool live talk, we meet with Sarah Duke, educator and theater artist, to discuss her experiences working with the general and special education students in a theater setting. We'll discuss how the arts can be healing, restorative, and learning opportunities for all individuals. In the behavior analytic world, Dr. Israel Goldiamond's constructional approach mirrors the theater concept of yes and, with behaviorally, the learner is always right and behavior is rational. So we can build skills that require starting with where the learner is at and building on those strengths. So adjust your speakers and tune into episode 42, Unmasking Through Theater with Sarah Duke. This is the joys of, um, I think, our, our podcast because we are different. Um, we're atypical in name and humans <laughs> and how things roll. Um, I don't like to do things normally or typically the easy way. So yeah, but this is going to be fun. Um so yeah, welcome. Um, this is, you know, it's Kelly Tate. Welcome back. It's been a while since we've had a live, like it's been almost a month. Um, so we'll see how, how it rolls um, and how my voice holds up because coming back to Texas means so many allergies. I miss, I miss beautiful skies and no pollution, but it is what it is and we'll survive. But anyways, um, welcome. And I'm here with Sarah Duke, and we're going to talk theater and get nerdy. Um, I've already sent her a picture this morning of my collection of playbills, um, which I think is amassed probably close to 50. I may have a small addiction. Um, I'll actually have to go back and recount. But yeah, but it's going to be fun. Um, and Sarah, I would love if you could just give us a quick little background of um, where you came from, you know, what got you into teaching and theater and then what you're doing now. And we'll jump in more specifically on application afterwards. Sounds great. So I'm Sarah Duke. Thank you for the uh, fabulous introduction and thank you for the opportunity to be here and talk with y'all today. Um, I am, okay, technically I'm not a Texas native. I was born in Oklahoma. I didn't get to make that choice, but I'm here now, so don't hold it against me. Um, I have been here since I was three, grew up in the DFW Metroplex, and I'm a product of public schools here in Texas. Um, graduated high school in the year 2000, went to UNT and it was at that time that I realized I was ready to declare theater as my major. 
But before I got there, let me rewind. I stuck around the Dallas area after graduating because I wasn't 100% sure what I wanted to do. And I took a psychology class while I was doing my, you know, community college, knock out those credits. And for this class, we had to have volunteer hours. And a friend that I'd made recently in that class stood up and was like, hey, everybody, if you want to try and knock your hours out in one weekend, I've got a great opportunity for you. It's called Camp Summit. It is a residential summer camp for children, adults, and youth with disabilities. And I was immediately intrigued because working full-time as a full-time college student, the idea of trying to volunteer somewhere every other Tuesday was daunting to juggle with a waiting table schedule and all of the flexibility there. So I went and volunteered in May, either March or May of 2001, and I was hooked. And I had so much fun. And I think I was telling you, this story, Kelly, when we first talked before this podcast, but I will never forget my first night <laughs> as a volunteer camp counselor. And like, I'd gone to some training, they, they prefaced us with everything. And I went to volunteer for a weekend session and I was assigned to a cabin with, um, younger males who had any kind of, um, developmental delay academic, or I'm sorry, not academic. Why are my words failing? Intellectual disability, including kiddos on the spectrum. And that first Friday night, I remember just looking around and being like, what am I doing? <laughs> and there was this sweet young man who I believe was on the spectrum um, playing with this blues clues little keyboard. And he kept playing the first like three seconds of a song over and over and over while twirling a little dog chain around on the grounds. And, um, just, it was, it was a moment where I'd never felt so out of my element in my life. And then something just clicked in and it was an amazing weekend. So I continued volunteering there. They were like, Hey, you should come work the summers. I worked the summers. And then that led me to Denton where I kind of had the confidence to go ahead and say, yes, I'm doing theater. I'm pursuing this, got that degree. And my dad was like, cool. You're ready to teach. And I was like, no, I want insurance. I want weekends off. I've worked full-time for forever. I'm done. So I got into corporate America and quickly realized that I had made just an egregious judgment and error or like error in judgment in that moment. And so that's when I was like, oh my gosh, you guys, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get my alternative certification. I'm going to go save the world. People say teaching is hard, but it can't be that hard. Cause like I work really hard. <laughs> So I got my alternative certification, jumped into a self-contained classroom and bit off the biggest slice of humble pie um, that I've ever had in my life, but I loved it. And I kept teaching it. And I did about six years teaching self-contained at the high school level. And I had anywhere between seven to 12 kiddos in a class at a time with myself and two paraprofessionals one year, just the way the cards fell, I was like half of an AU unit. Like half of my class was on the spectrum. The other half was not, I had two who were medically fragile. It was, it was a lot. And I reached this point where I had to make the choice to step back because as much as I love the kiddos, it was a situation where no matter how hard I worked, I felt like the outcomes never got that much better in the public school system. And I could talk about the time I've worked in group homes. I can talk about just kind of the whole care industry for people with disabilities is such a hot mess. So I was like, you know what, to prolong my career, because I, I know I'm a good educator. I have a passion for people. I was like, I'm going to follow my roots and then teach theater. So that's what I did. And this will be my eighth year teaching theater, um, all public school, all in the DFW area. 
Um, I'm a stage manager and a company member of a local professional theater company called Kitchen Dog Theater. And I'm on the board of a nonprofit called Hope Rising. And we do theater and art related events to raise money and awareness. And all of the money we raise, we give away to organizations that support survivors of domestic violence and sexual abuse. So that in a nutshell is kind of my theater education, bizarro, keeps me busy adult life. I love it. I love it, especially because I had written down, I was like, which came first, theater or working with IDD? Kind of both. Yeah, definitely both together. Kind of both. Yeah. Yeah. Classic chicken or egg, and they're both kind of swirled up in there together. Yeah. <laughs> um, so for people that aren't familiar with Texas school systems, and also because I am not great with the different labels of classrooms, because I think they, they feel like they change across districts, but can you kind mm-hmm. of explain what a self-contained classroom looks like, um, and I guess if there's differences between um, the age groups or the, the school groupings. Yes, yes. So it does, they do differ across school districts. The experience that I can speak to is what I did in Richardson ISD. Um, I was at Berkner High School and we had 3,000 kiddos. Now at the time when I left, we had, I'm wanting to say 40 or 45 students in a self-contained classroom. So what this means is, these students are learning on a fundamentally different level than say there's there's several tiers so you've got general education and these are kiddos who are just kind of out in the general population um there are plenty of neurotypical individuals out there it kind of depends on the family the severity and whether or not a family is willing to go through the identification process to have their child admitted to special education and a lot don't want to they don't want the stigma um i can definitely speak to working with that So you've got general education. And for one year, I was an inclusion teacher. So my seventh year of teaching after leaving self-contained, I would go into general ed classrooms and just kind of help students function. I modified tests. I did oral administration of tests. Just a lot more of like a half in, half out. Like I'm half gen ed, half special ed. I'm here to help. But these were kiddos that for the most part could self-regulate, could function very independently, as opposed to kiddos and say, uh, we used to call them a resource classroom. So resource is a smaller student to teacher ratio. So it'd be one special education teacher and then 12 to 15 kiddos learning on a, um, and for this, I guess it would definitely be modified curriculums. So there's two levels and there's a whole lot of jargon and stuff. Basically in um, the seventies, you know, there was IDEA, the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, and that required that students be educated in the least restrictive environment, which is a big deal. They need to receive a free and appropriate public education in the least restrictive environment. So that's kind of how everything is based. And, you know, as a disability is more severe, there needs to be more scaffolding, more support, more, um, you know, the ring kind of gets smaller and smaller and smaller. So you've got kiddos that maybe have, um, dyslexia or dysgraphia or ADD, ADHD. And a lot of those kiddos might or might not have an IEP, might or might not have a 504. 504s and IEPs are the documents that govern how you teach, um, what you teach to students with disabilities. If they choose to take it, I've had families like not, again, not want those supports. Um, And then and then she lost her train of thought. Ladies and gentlemen, here we go. Um, <laughs> no <some> students <laughs> receive accommodated instruction. So this just means that like large text, for example, if you have a kiddo with a visual impairment, large text would be an example of an accommodation or a test with one question per page 
would be an accommodation. It does not modify what they're being taught. It's how they access the material. And then the kiddos that I taught to loop back around to this self-contained classroom, the kiddos that I taught were learning fundamental life skills several years below their biological age in a self-contained environment. So me and two other people teaching ELA, science, social studies, and language arts on whatever level was deemed most appropriate for the student based on the ARD committee, which is the group of people that gets together and writes the IEP. Um, simple things like students learning to write or type their names, um, sorting, sorting different, different pictures of, of items into categories, and then there were some who were basically just learning on an experiential level. So I had two, I, there's one student I can think of, specifically two really, who um, based on what, you know, the other, the other service providers who were highly skilled, you know, what the diagnosticians and um, occupational therapists and visually impaired specialists said, basically were toddlers developmentally, but in high school age bodies. So I had a few students like that and it's trying to serve all of them with the most dignity possible while engaging them, taking care of their emotional needs, their physical needs, and it's a lot. I didn't understand because it's one of those like, yeah, schools, they're schools, right? Like they're classrooms and yeah, no, mm, yeah. sure never had experience with it. And the self-contained units, like you mentioned, it's a combination. It's not like that we all have bipolar or, you know, it's all ADHD. It's like, no, we've got medically fragile. And so, you know, if this person starts to have some regulation issues, like what, you know, you have to have all the contingency plans. It was, it was a lot. And this is why that job had a shelf life. And in my time there, um, at one point people, people spoke very ill of ability grouping. And I know that that can, that can kind of be a good thing and a bad thing, but it's like, I had students in the same room who, like I said, toddler, toddler developmentally, but in a, in a grown up body, lots of crying, lots of medical needs. And then I had kiddos that could read, write, and do a little bit of multiplication and division. It was very difficult to try and meet everyone's needs at a high quality level. So I finally kind of worked to get the classes leveled a bit to where you had some that were lower level and some that were higher level. And I feel like it was a good switch. A lot of people didn't like it because those classrooms with the lower level students were really challenging. And that's where I feel like schools needed to kind of step up and say, hey, here's more supports. Here's what we can do for you. Maybe we need to rotate people in and out. Um, so when I left, there were four classrooms. I think that campus, one of my best friends is still the department head. Um, I think there are now six, either five or six. Yeah. And some of them are you know, students that can go to electives on their own, they can read and write on their own, they can do, you know, they're like, they're so close, they're just quite there. And then you've got students that you're feeding. Um, I've done a lot of self-care, a lot of just meeting of physical needs, fed a lot of people, seen a lot of diapers. And there's there's some theater there too. Oh yeah, you you learn. The first time you get poop on you, it's it's an experience. And that's kind of a, mm -hmm. a moment where I was like, am I really enjoying what I'm doing right now? I'm going to come back yeah. to this thought later. I'm going to go bleach my head. <laughs> It'll be fine. Yeah. It's so fine. Um, before we jump into the theater, I do want to kind of keep unpacking this a little bit, especially because we, I don't feel like we talk a lot about the older individuals. So going into adults and everything, because there's a lot of supports that get yanked out um, once you mm -hmm. graduate. And yeah. so when you're prepping um, 
that we, or when you were prepping these students, like what were your projections, like, you know, kind of your own personal hopes, I know go into it as too, is like, I would love for them to, you know, have a great life and yada, yada, learn all these skills, get a job maybe. But you do have the art committee and you have the IEP and you have those goals that are in place. So trying to find that balance um, of, you know, what, what the textbook tells you to do versus mm -hmm. what really, mm -hmm. you know, you're trying to prep them for a life without the school supports and, you know, having to kind of make it with just their caregiver, whomever mm -hmm. that may be. Yeah, that can be a lot. And thankfully Richardson had, and I, I think a lot of districts have, we called it the transition program. So to kind of scaffold that, um, when students were in high school, freshman, sophomore, junior, senior, if they were in this program, there was a, and I forget what we called the program because brains and years, but basically it was a half day, like work internship program. And so um, every, some, every fall semester for my campus, they had to split them up, right? So some campuses would get to go do, they would get to go to their work rotations in the fall. Other campuses, they would go in the spring, but they would have a whole semester where certain days a week, students would go with a job coach to jobs in the community and they would intern. So they would go to Albertsons and face boxes on shelves. They would go places and be a greeter. They would... Um, go to, there was a local thrift store and they would help like sort items and get things ready to sell. And so they got this like internship basically, and that led to their graduation and the graduation plans and things have changed. So I'm not sure now, but for like a higher functioning individual with a significant, um, intellectual disability, my highest hopes were always that they could live some level of semi-independence, um, most of the individuals I taught were not going to be able to live independently and maintain a safe, healthy lifestyle. Um, and a lot of them had great family support. The public education system will serve students up until the age of 22 if they have, if you, if you receive special education services, but that can look differently based on family support and whether or not families will allow students to take advantage of programs like this because some programs didn't. So the best, kind of the best case scenario for a lot of these kiddos is turn 18. They've gotten all their credits for graduation on a modified plan. So they can then graduate. But what they would do is go to the Richardson ISD transition program, which was like this job internship only based out of their homes. And they learned how to use public transportation. They learned how to apply for jobs. They learned how to cook and go for basic meals. And it, it's all of this stuff is great, but it wasn't enough hours a week. I mean, it was better than nothing. Um, and some kids took it, some kids didn't, some families, it really depended on how um, capable the family was or how able the family was to keep up with that. So that was kind of the ideal, the ideal outcome. And some needed to go to group homes or day hubs where they would be in a school-like environment during the day and then home at night. So they could still remain with their families, but have something meaningful intellectually to do and not just be chilling. That's a really nice way to describe optimal, what I would love day haves and group homes to look like. Because it's, yeah. I'm, I'm all for downtime. I'm a huge fan of downtime. Yeah. well aware of this fact, but um, uh, too much downtime is it can also be a problem so and lack of leisure Absolutely. skills and so trying to find that balance of like I don't want you to feel like you have to be at work 24 hours out of the day but at the same time dude like you need to be able just to sit and relax mm -hmm. but with something mentally stimulating in between so you're not just sitting there like uh 
Yeah. So when you're talking about like going into the community, I immediately go to, and that's where theater comes in for a lot of people because like, oh my gosh, I have to leave my house and I'm such a good introvert. Like, all right, cool. going to go to Kroger. It's going to be fine. Got to get myself mentally prepared. Look, okay. Get the smile. Hi, how are you? Hello. You know, that kind of deal. Yeah, um, I'm happy about this, right? This is a great day. I love uh, it. <laughs> and but there's a whole reason that we kind of joke about it because it does work. It makes you start to giggle and I can get a little bit more relaxed and I can do things. So being able to play with characters and voices has always been, for me, super exciting. Like I, my mom stuck me on a stage at like 18 months or two years old. And mm-hmm. that's where I've been, you know, in some way, shape or form ever since I'm yeah. looking back yeah. on things. Um, so what drew you to the theater um, as, you know, as a whole and then you know, what, when did you see like that connection with like, oh, I can totally use it with this population that's, you know, typically overlooked when it comes to fun things. They have a disability. So therefore, and which mm, irritates the tar out of me, but that's a whole different rant. But yeah, so, so (laughs) talk about, um, let's go ahead and dive into that little side of, of your history and everything. Yeah, let's chat. So, uh, come from a very musical family, right? Pretty much everyone, my mom, as they'll say in the South, well, bless her heart, uh, didn't quite get, <laughs> but she actually, no, I lie. I should not sell my mom short. Uh, she has, she was getting her theater degree when she met my dad at OU, which is how I came to be born in Oklahoma. Sorry. Ugh. Um, but my dad's whole side of the family is very musical. Um, my cousin, Brad, who is like, I'm the second oldest and Brad is like the next oldest. He and I basically live parallel lives. He got a theater degree at OU. I got a theater degree at UNT. Um, we came to Dallas. We both did theater in Dallas. We both taught special ed. He's now the department head of an English department high school in um, Waxahachie. So I know, right? Um, so I feel like I just come by it partially genetically, but I've always loved theater. I've always loved being on stage. Um, dabbled in theater in high school, dabbled in music. Bottom line of the arts are the arts. They're all a branch off of the same tree. And no matter how you approach it, the things that you learn in the arts, everyone's like, oh my gosh, I don't, I don't ever, I couldn't do theater. I can't be on stage. Well, you're going to have to go to a job interview. So you're going to be on stage someday. Um, Oh, well, I'm not a very good writer uh, yet. So, you know, all of these, I feel like all of the, the the thing I love about teaching theater is that there are more right answers than there are wrong answers. And this is kind of my gateway in with kiddos and specifically our kiddos who are neurodivergent. And I feel like neurodivergent kiddos living in a neurotypical world, they're so afraid They're so afraid to step out of their shell. They're so used to hearing no. Everything they do is wrong. They miss the cues. They misjudge everything. It's it's like they're shell-shocked. And these kiddos come to theater and they're like, well, can I write a play about robots? I'm like, yeah, what about robots? Can I write a play about robots that eat carrots and take over the White House? Yes, please tell me more. And so it's like theater is this beautiful place that I have found where all kiddos, be they maybe struggling academically, struggling emotionally, um, neurodivergent, on the spectrum, any, any of these things, there's so many right answers in theater. And this is where, this is where kiddos can find some freedom to experiment, to find their voice. And um, I think with my experience teaching kiddos with pretty severe disabilities, 
I don't know, it's just changed maybe the way that I approach things. And my goal in teaching theater with these kiddos is not for you to get up and be able to recite me a bunch of Shakespeare. I love Shakespeare, don't get me wrong. Um, I don't need you to memorize vocabulary. I don't want you to be able to talk about, oh, well, Meisner's theory of, um, <clears throat> no, no, no. And some theater teachers teach that way. And I'm like, y'all, that stuff bores me. <laughs> like, I love theater, but I love the heart and soul and the intuitive part of theater, which is what I think is the most accessible to the most kids. So yes, I'm going to teach you some vocabulary. I will talk a little theory, but only enough that I've taught it to you and I haven't bored you. And then I'm going to dangle the carrots of theater games and collaborative work with your peers. That piece is huge. Theater's 100% collaboration. I think my students throughout the course of the year maybe work on two projects by themselves. Everything else is collaborative. Um, and at the end of the day, I'm biased. What's a skill you want to know? There's a way that theater will teach it to you. Literacy, theater will teach it to you. Math, logic, problem solving, a little bit of science, boatloads of history. Um, all of these things come from theater. So no matter how you approach it, there's some skill in theater that I can teach you that helps you like connect with the outside world. And I've had these cute little sixth graders. They're like, miss, I'm talking about like plot structure, right? But I don't call it plot structure. I'm like, here's how a play goes. And I draw the little diagram. Y'all know the one, right? And then I explain it to them and they're like, wait, 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 wait. I saw this in English and like, miss, don't tell my teacher, but you explained it so much better. And I'm like, thanks. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like the fact that the fact that theater has more right answers than wrong. And I tell, I tell my students, um, there's no bad ideas. Any idea is a good idea. Any idea is a good idea. Some are stronger. Some will make more sense to people than they do. Um, or some will make as much sense to other people as they do to you. But let's try that idea. Let's see what works. And if it doesn't work, let's find a way to make it better. Let's find a way. And I, I really try to stay away from words like good and better. I try the words like a stronger choice, a more understandable choice, a more relatable choice, so that I'm not trying to place inherent value on their work. I hope that makes some sense. Oh, heck yeah. That was, that was wonderful. Um, that made my heart so happy, especially the, you know, there's no wrong answers. Like it, that's the joys of improv. The answer is always yes. Um, and like, what do we need to do to keep moving forward with it? You know, I can, and you know, if you want to go super, let's go fluffy here for a second. It's a good metaphor with life. Like you can sit here and perseverate or you can, you know, go, well, what if we play with this? What if we, you know, turn this knob a little bit and see what happens, you know, getting to step out of the comfort zone, um, you know, heck yeah, I really want to watch a play about robots eating carrots and taking over the White House now. Like I'm super intrigued by this. Um, but yeah, I mean, I took a, a play therapy class in part of my undergrad and it was such the coolest thing because everything you just labeled objectively. So like the kid could be coloring like black or fire and, you know, someone would want to label it like evil or bad or, you know, those kind of subjective words. And our professor was like, no, they're just coloring with a black crayon. Just call it what it is and let them tell you what they think is going on and what's happening. And you might find out that it has nothing to do with what you perceive, that it's, you know, their own imagination. And like you hit that one of my, my big things is, and you hit it perfectly, is they've been, we've told kids no for so long. Um, don't stim in public. You need to keep, you know, I'm sorry, you have sensory issues. You just need to tolerate it and get over it. Like all of these things that we have projected onto people that are, you know, different than our own selves. And you don't realize how punishing that is. And like, 
you tell a kiddo that and they'll hold on to it. And all of a sudden they're a teenager and they're still holding on to that fear and terror. Like calling it shell shock is, I think, a, a fantastically terrifying metaphor, but it's accurate. Because, yeah, I mean, yeah. And, and so I, I love the fact that you're able to, you know, you called it this healing and restorative moment because it is, it's kind of, it is good therapy of like, if I need to play an angry character today, I can go find an angry character script and we can get some yelling and some screaming done if that's easier than you going and talking to the counselor today. Yeah. You know, the counselor may not encourage yelling and screaming. No, depending on who your counselor is. <laughs> so, okay. So, um, so how, what are some of the things that you do incorporate? So obviously you said you have some theater games um, and there's lots of different skills that you can learn. And you and I were talking about the backstage handbook being helpful to, you know, tying knots and being able to build things um, and kind of being resourceful. Um, so what are some of the other skills that you work on with your students? Um, and then I kind of want to branch into accommodations and such. So, um, I always start the year with a week of theater games and get to know you stuff, like to get people comfortable because they come in and especially like, especially this past school year, um, after half of the population, more than half of the population being at home and people being on the computer, we, that would be a whole like side podcast trying to teach theater on the computer to kiddos with and without disabilities. It was terrible. Um, <laughs> so we, I start with a whole week of theater games. And then from there, I teach them some just basics, like here's what theater is. Here's a stage, upstage, downstage. We play more games. Um, got this great, like, <laughs> y'all remember Minesweeper, like that computer game where you're clicking on the little things and they all, so it's like Minesweeper, but it's like with real humans and they have to use stage directions to get each other across without running into something and blindfolds are involved. I'm very cautious. I'm very cautious, <laughs> but we do stuff like that. And then um, my first project of the year, I call it the great skit project. And I, I put them in groups and I'm like, Hey, you have to write a 30 second to one minute script you must use two entrances and exits, like meaning everyone can't be on stage the whole time. You've got to use four different areas of the stage, go. And I have them just write something and they're like, what do I write about? I'm like, what do you want to write about? What do you want to write about? And this is usually where the first fights break out, especially in like sixth grade, they have such a hard time, but this is a great moment. This is, this is where I can cycle in and teach some of that empathy problem solving and kind of gives me a litmus of where they are. So we, we do those performances and then I do a whole mime and pantomime unit and we talk about uh, expressing through movement. And I, I like to start there because moving is less scary than speaking. You ask people to speak, they get real scared. Movement, not so much. Um, so we do like a mime and pantomime unit. Again, lots and lots and lots of games, lots of exploratory play. They do a solo mime performance. We have to do pantomime an object and then a partner pantomime where their pantomime tells the story. Um, from there, move on to a voice unit. And then in the pre-COVID days, I had a whole improv unit. I've done puppetry with sixth grade. Um, I've had to kind of step back from both improv and puppetry just because that year that we were hybrid, nobody on the computer wanted to speak. And then the people in the room were all friends, but the people at home were isolated. It was such a weird year. Um, but I found a way for them to, we actually wrote radio plays. I like to do radio plays. They're super fun. And then we did a whole like old timey, and this is great after the voice unit. So um, I found a way to where like the kids could get together on their own breakout sessions and write their own scripts and share through Google Docs and then perform. And we would listen to it through the speakers in my classroom. Um, I've had them write their own commercial based on a product they come up with, like fake products, 
like grow a friend. If your best friend moves here, plant this little pot and, or like spray, like perfume spray that makes you a better dancer. Um, a closet that will dress you for any occasion. I mean, you know, all these things. And then they have to, I know I'm like, please, can y'all like patent that for me? Um, and then we do a monologue unit at the beginning of the spring semester so that I have kiddos ready to audition. So I go into some classical like actor training. Here's how we do what we do. Um, then I do a tech theater unit and we usually read a fairy tale or children's story. And I have them do a design project based on that. I've moved to a more digital design, but I'm like, do you want to do, do you want to do Romeo and Juliet steampunk? Great. Find some pictures. Um, do you want to do it set like a fairy tale, a children's story? So they'll put together like a whole, um, Google slideshow of costume prop and scenery pictures. And then I make them find five songs that they feel like fit the tone and overall mood of the play. What else do I do? I do have a fun Shakespeare unit. I teach them about Shakespeare. I have some adapted texts. So it's like um, mostly modern language, but then with some of the original Shakespeare thrown in. So we'll read those out loud as a class. Oh, I do whiteboard Shakespeare where I tell them the story of a Shakespearean play and drop badly, like on the whiteboard behind me because I'm a terrible artist. Yeah. <laughs> and then we usually get to the end of the year. And I think I think the last, the last two years, I've kind of let them choose their own adventure end of the year style. So I've had people want to do a Shakespeare play, but do a design project for it. Um, I've had groups write and perform alternate endings to Shakespeare plays. And this is what I do in my intro class. Um, I have an advanced theater class where I do a pretty in-depth tech theater unit in the fall. And then in the spring, I let them nominate some projects they want. I'm like, what do you want to learn about? Let's find a way. Like we did, a, I did a whole shadow puppet thing this past year. Uh, and then I have a performance group that um, auditions to be in that class and they're, they're who I produce plays with. So that's kind of what I'm teaching. And I feel like with my background in SPED, a lot of it is already automatically accommodated because I, I started teaching and y'all, I got alt cert. None of this is textbook. None of this. I took no education classes. I babysat. I worked in group homes. I worked in summer camps. I worked in the church nursery a million lifetimes ago. Um, and then I was like, oh, what works? What doesn't? It's, I mean, it's a lot the same as really like kind of ABA. What works? What doesn't? Try this. Did it work? Oh, nope. Nope. That didn't work. Okay. Try this. Oh, that did work. Okay. More of that. And so that's kind of how I've come full circle with this. And it's great because it's like, okay, find what works. And that's different for every kid. No, that's different for every class. Yeah. I love how you really shape things though. You know, you start with, you know, it's base, it's the basics of theater without it being boring and kind of, you know, Mer. you know it's, it's you know what does it look like what are the movements and then all oh, the pantomime I was a mime um and it is it's <laughs> there's pictures it's fun um but it was I didn't I wasn't sure of my voice um but heck yeah I could pantomime like like nobody's business and that's oh, yeah. it's a fun thing to get to channel because again it's still a character without having to worry about like oh man you know how does my voice sound today kind of deal so mm -hmm. and then and then building from there and you know then getting to the monologues I you know definitely I think jumped in early with some classes of like oh yeah I can totally take this monologue on mm, nope sure you probably should work on something smaller like not being afraid of talking in public oh yeah <laughs> what yeah but I and I I do love how you said you've already tried to make it accommodating and everything. And, and you noted, um, you know, trying to get 
uh, the, you know, students from one end of the stage to the other end, but they're blindfolded and having to work through um, that. So that right there, because um, I remember playing those kind of games as well too, you know, don't run your friend into a wall, though inevitably you ran into a wall because that's how your friends were. Um, but being able to recall that kind of sense of being out of control or and, and having to really rely on somebody else's voice and like if I felt them move away from me like becoming you know kind of like oh my gosh where'd you go like I I don't know where you're at now and how scary that can be when I've worked with clients now that have been deaf blind um it, I, I felt like I at least had a slight bit more empathy um, and a little bit of like potential understanding of like, yeah, your world can be really scary. And so when we would talk and everything and they would talk about being lonely, um, I was, you know, it's, it, yeah, I'm sure because you can't see the world around you. You have to rely on all these other people. So I'm glad that your students are able to have an experience like that. And then mm -hmm. in, a, in such a way that like, not only is it fun in theater, but it's also like, no, that's that hopefully will resonate with them for a little while so as they get older and they come in contact with different situations like you're going to respond just a little differently because of those kind of experiences exactly and i i really focus on you know teachers always like here's the beginning of the school year here's my rules and i'm like boring um i know i'm terrible i'm like hey how about we all just like be nice is that can that we just do that um <laughs> But I tell them, I was like, y'all, I really only have one rule and that is respect, lead with respect, everything you do. And I was like, we could link every rule back to that. You talking while I'm talking says you don't respect my voice and I can't allow that because every voice has to be important in here. And I talk about that a lot. I talk about that a lot. Two kids talking over each other. Hang on, hang on, hang on. I want to hear you, but I can't hear him and you were speaking first. So give us a second. I want to hear your voice, but I can't do that if I'm listening to you at once. Give me a moment. Um... I tried really hard to model, you know, please, thank you. I try really hard to monitor um, the look on my face, the tone of my voice, the intensity. And like, I'm not afraid to apologize. And I had like last year rough. I was ready to quit by September. It was so hard. There were definitely classes where I had to say, guys, I'm sorry. I'm really short today. It's not you. I am so overwhelmed. I was like, who in here has felt overwhelmed? To where like you feel like you can't remember or make a choice and half their hands go up um <laughs> dude i straight up like started first period crying i cried for like 10 minutes and i was like y'all i'm having a day i'm like standing in front of 30 seventh and eighth graders just crying there's nothing that can be done i was like i need a minute um here's what i want you to do you can talk to somebody around you you can use your chromebook um just be chill give me a second to get it together and then we're gonna learn some theater i'm having a tough day and they're like they gave me candy. <laughs> I got a card from a kid. Like they have so much more um, social intelligence than we give them credit for. And, you know, there were some good days and bad days with that class, but it's, it's, I feel like leading with respect and being transparent helps them to kind of see how they can do that with their classmates. And so that's, I think another like central core of how I do what I do and what helps theater be successful with these kiddos. Cause they see me live it, do my best to live it. It's such a hard thing when I'm doing like staff training or caregiver training to remind people like you've got to put that mask on sometimes like I know it's tough and I get to say these things and I'm only there for a couple hours out of the week. And so it can I try I hope it doesn't come off as trite, but at the same time, it, it's like if you also if you need to take a break, that's totally fine. You are allowed to stop something and, and move away. 
you know, you don't have to address everything right now. And a lot of us, and I, and I know teachers just from, you know, having friends that are teachers and, you know, the little bits that I played around in schools, the requirements, the outside requirements. So like, yeah, you want to be able to teach your kids, but then there's, well, I've got to get ready for this testing or for this state testing and this federal testing. And if they don't check off all these boxes, then we're going to lose funding and all these outside pressures. And so, you know, they, they lose themselves in that and it can get really tough to, you know, focus on a student when you've got so many other voices in your head. And so, yeah, being able to have a place where it's like, okay, we can have this mutual respect, you know, maybe I don't get it as well from this other teacher, but I might also be able to learn to be a little empathetic towards that teacher, maybe put on a character for her class so that may help alleviate some things. So, yeah, it's it's this cool beneficial across the board thing, but the, the respect I think is you is crucial with, you know, yeah, all of our rules come back to that. I want you to listen to me. Okay. That's respect. Stay in your seat. Okay. That's respect. Don't, you know, yeah. Okay. All these things. And so being able to, to model being humble um, and we're learning too, you know, it's, you know, I've, I've been schooled multiple times by clients and students and learners like, oh, yep. That's all me kind of deal. I am so sorry. Like, and yeah, let me apologize for that. Mm-hmm. And it's, it builds, I think, a, a slightly different human um, when you start encouraging that. And especially at like a really awkward age of middle school, because I remember middle school and I sure would never, ever want to go back to those ages. And, you know, allowing them a, a, a place to play um, and, and it's okay to still play because there's, you know, oh, you're not a kid anymore, but you're also not really an adult. So where do you, where do you fit? Um, exactly. And theater, I think another thing that kind of helps theater's a little scary, even those of us that love theater. I mean, theater's theater's scary. It's a risk. You have to be vulnerable. You're doing all of these things that life and society has, has kind of, again, beaten out of us a little bit, right? Vulnerability, um, taking risks, being up and like pulling attention to ourselves. And like, I feel like everyone in middle school, whether they admit it or not, is trying the hardest they can to be invisible most of the time. Um, so the other thing about theater is that it's hugely, massively confidence building, which you know from having done it, but I can, I, I can think of a couple of specific kids from last year who at the beginning of last year didn't even want to play games. They're like, miss, I don't want to play. I'm like, well, then help me keep score for a minute. Um, help me moderate, help me do this. And then eventually I'll, I'll rope you back in. Those same kids by the end of the year wrote monologues, uh, performed, got up and did things and you know, like you were talking about that feeling, um, the game where you had to be blindfolded and talk through something and you had to, to feel that kind of vulnerable, alone dependence on somebody, that confidence helps too. And I have one kid in particular, oh my gosh, okay, I got this girl as a seventh grader. Um, as far as I know, neurotypical, like no, um, nothing, no codings, no IEPs, no documents, but this child was the most shy child I think I've ever met. Um, <laughs> like she wouldn't even answer questions in class. Like she wouldn't even like nod or shake her head. She just kind of like, I mean, you could just see this like panic. Um, one time I needed her to, and I got her mid-year and she'd been at another middle school and my colleague had emailed them like, Hey, you're going to get so-and-so. Um, they look like they could maybe be poorly behaved, but they're not, but they're painfully shy. Don't ever say something nice or they'll cry. Like, don't say something nice to this child in front of the class. And I'm like, okay. 
So um, <laughs> student wouldn't read a monologue out loud. Like just read it to me, like to me, like me at their desk in the room full of other people. But I sure did have them. I was like, okay, you can come in tomorrow before or after school and read it to me. Like, I think I even took this child to my office, which is like off my classroom. And I'm like, you can read it to me here. But there were still people out there. Wouldn't do it. Skipped my class with a friend one day so that they wouldn't have to perform. And you bet I figured that out. I was like, mm-mm, mm-mm. I saw you in the hallway, child. No. Um, that child, whether they chose to or not, came back to theater this year. This was this was two years ago that I had them. Came back to theater last year as an eighth grader. Um, participated in everything did everything. And man, I could not brag on that kid enough. I was like, I'm so proud of you. Look at you. You did it. Look at you. You did it. Hey, don't skip my class today. You know, you got to present. Don't you got this. Um, and just that one, that one kid and it was, Oh God, she was so painfully shy in seventh grade, but in eighth grade. And this is a kid that I looked at and I was like, I'm so proud of you. And I love you. You're doing great. Whether or not you ever do theater again, just remember this class and know that whatever challenge you're up against, you can face it. Do quick pause in the action. If you are listening for continuing education units, here is the first of your two keywords. Their first word is shape. S H A P E. Theater can help shape a variety of skills. Shape. That's awesome. And I, I, more humans need to hear that about themselves. Um, and that's yeah. Again, even if you have to lie for a little bit, even if, even if you know you're you're struggling, and it's you know I I'm just glad you showed up. I might be frustrated with you, but I'm glad you're here. <laughs> and you know, those little bits of encouragement can help shape up these you know better things. And you know, yeah, it's it's fantastic. Which is, huh, the arts are so it's freeing. I like to it's scary and freeing. Um, so I wanted to kind of roll into like some of the accommodations that you've had to, um, I mean, not make, because again, there's a lot of freedom and creativity and everything. So, you know, it's, if you want to have a character who, um, you know, is in a wheelchair, like I can make the, you know, I can have a person who's in a wheelchair be that main character, like not married to it kind of deal. And I do get frustrated sometimes when those things happen. Um, But that's for a different rant. But I know you had a lot of experience too with like Camp Summit. So let's actually jump back to Camp Summit and probably some of the skills that you learned there and how you incorporated them into teaching now. So um, I know there's actually a few different Camp Summits that are not just in Texas. I have no idea if they're the same, Um, but this one is, oh, good gracious. It's been around for a couple of decades now and is specifically for um, a children and adults with uh, intellectual and developmental disabilities. And I know that that spectrum can range um, from pretty, I don't want to say severe, um, but a lot more supports are needed. um, One-on-ones are needed. I've had individuals who utilize communication boards when they go up there, which has always made my heart really happy that they still have a chance to get their needs and wants met and everything. Um, So yeah, so if you could kind of describe what your experience was there, maybe a little bit of the training they gave you and then I guess more of your life lessons (laughs) and what you learned from it. Love it. So they've got a great training program. Um, I volunteered that first summer and then I ended up going back and working or I volunteered that first weekend in May of 2001 or March of 2001. And then I worked there summers 2001, two, three, and four. I was a unit leader. So I was in charge of a cabin and a cabin was a staff of five to seven, um, a 
you know, college age, high school age adults. We had a couple of counselors in training. And so they were younger, like under the age of 18 or under the age of 16, 15. Um, so they were able to do some counselor style duties, but with a little more supervision. These were your like younger high school age kiddos. Um, so you have, it's a 12 week program in the summer and it starts with a week of training and they talk all about different disabilities, what they are, um, how they affect individuals, what's the difference between autism and Down syndrome. Um, you learn, yes, they, you learn, you learn about different disabilities. They talk about people first language. That was the first place I was exposed to it. Um, and I've been on a one woman mission to get rid of the R word for like 20 years ever since, because it's dumb. Um, let's see, you actually have a day. It's funny, we were, we were talking a minute ago, we have, you have a day where each person, um, you pull something out of a hat and either like you can't use your right hand for the rest of the day, or you might have to wear in a pair of like adapted goggles that cloud your vision, um, wear headphones that dampen sounds, you know, and so there's like half a day and like half of the staff cares for those individuals. And then you flip flop. And I don't know how much they've changed it, but these are things that we did back in the day when I was there. Um, you spend some time on that challenge course, dig deep, find all your grit. The challenge course that I ended up being certified to work. Um, and you eventually get in your cabin groups and then there's fun. There's like a random night off they give you. I think we did a giant game of capture the flag. So it's like equal parts bonding and actual like education. And then the summer is split by disability and age. So you start the summer, there are two weeks for adults with developmental delays. So, so week one, and then the last week, because those are, those are, I'm just going to say it's, it's a little more of a soft landing. You're not going to start with the dual sensory impairment week. Yeah, no, that's a hard one. That's a really hard one. Um, so you starts with uh, starts with adults who have dis uh, developmental delays, then adults with physical challenges. We had a week for individuals with epilepsy, and that was basically teenagers. So it would go as young as five and as old as eighteen, and they would kind of group each cabin by age that week. And then we would have a week for young adults with developmental delays, and it's like an age breakdown. Um, so like adults, I'm wanting to say we're 30 and up. Young adults were like 18 to 30. And then they would kind of group people. And if somebody had multiple disabilities, so let's say you have an intellectual disability and you use a wheelchair, they're going to kind of go with where you'd be more comfortable. So if the intellectual disability was more severe than the physical disability, they would group them with peers with whom they, they felt like you would get along and, and work well. Uh, we get a week off in the middle of the summer. And then you come back and you have a few days training for the dual sensory impairment week. And that was a very different week. And I wanted to say it might've been a day shorter. So instead of a, a six day program, it was like a five day program just because it's, it's a lot more intense um, caring for individuals with a dual sensory impairment. And a lot of them would come from group homes as opposed to private homes. So that weekend, like you could actually fly out. I have actually flown to Austin, Texas to collect individuals with intellectual disabilities who were at least legally deaf and legally blind together and then flown back with them. It was intense. We made it work. Um, everybody made it through the airport. And then um, let's see, teens with developmental delays. And then you get to the little bitties and they can be a challenge too. Um, so young kiddos with developmental delays and a lot of that, you know, these are 
man, as young as five and as old as maybe 13. And by 13, they would get bumped up into the teenage group. So you're talking, you're looking at a lot of school age kiddos. Um, and some of the behaviors, I would say some of the behaviors there can get kind of severe. So that's, that's an overview of the program. Um, and, you know, I was so sad when I stepped into my classroom and my camp counselor skills didn't just immediately translate, but I didn't know. I didn't know about all the, the paperwork and the boxes to check and the politics of being a teacher and running a classroom and all of that. But I will say that like having been a unit leader in charge of a cabin for two years um, and then, oh, and then I was the programs director. I was the assistant programs director. So I helped the head program director uh, manage the staff. So everybody on staff was, um, you had an evening activity that you ran. So some people were in charge of running the dance, the talent show, the theme night, the water night. Um, and then we had a group of people who did activities. We had um, horse wranglers, ropes course, um, certified people, arts and crafts, sports and games, nature and lifeguards. So the program during the day, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so as the program director, I was helping um, coordinate with those people, purchasing materials, getting everything where it needed to go. We had a cookout night, it used to be a camp out night. So really, I mean, all of those skills are 100% teaching just with a lot more sunscreen and less paperwork. Um, Sounds so freedom, much more fun. Oh my God, so much more fun so much more fun. And at camp, there was, there was a lot of freedom in that if somebody didn't want to do an activity, guess what? Do you have to make them? No, just keep them safe. If they don't want to do it, they don't have to do it. Um, you, you try and do it, try and encourage them to do it, try and find creative ways to get them interested. But guess what? If we're walking to the pool and you decide you don't want to go and you plop down, I'm just going to plop down right next to you. And when you want to walk again, we'll walk again and we'll figure it out. And that really does translate to teaching. The only unfortunate caveat is that with teaching, um, obviously it's a lot more results driven. We wanna see results, we wanna see these things happen. But I think because I came from the summer camp first, because I came from special ed first, my idea of results driven is different than a lot of other people's. So I'm gonna start with where you are now. And for example, my girl who wouldn't even speak in front of the class, um, my idea of results with her is, can I get you to try something, anything? Can I hear your voice? Will you answer a question in class? You do it, I'm over the moon. As opposed to like my sweet little musical theater babies that come, you know, like buffaloing in the first day. And obviously my idea of results with them is different, but they come from a, a different baseline level of, of skill, of confidence, of everything. So at the end of the day, any growth you show me is good growth and that makes me happy. And I think that that's kind of the core of what I took from Camp Summit because the whole goal of that place is for them to have a great time. Come have a great time. Be at a residential camp. Be somewhere where you're not the different one. How can I help you do that? What can I do? What can I do to make you feel at home? What can I do to help you feel comfortable and happy? Um, I don't know why this story popped in my head, but I will never forget the night a colostomy bag ruptured. And this was what, <laughs> and if you know, you know, uh, it was three in the morning and you know, in that moment, I was like, man, this is, uh, this is, this is the most intense smell I've ever smelled. So what did I do? I cracked a couple of fart jokes and was like, how can I help? You know? And the person who's, who's bag ruptured was like, you're right. I probably should empty this before I went to bed, but for real, can you find me some medical tape? And I'm like, on it, I'll be right back. And there's one of those moments where theater comes in and you just, you meet someone where they're at and you look at them and you say, how can I help you feel okay in this moment? And I wish that more of public education could be that.
you took what could have been a horribly traumatic experience. I mean, I never want to go to camp again. I never, you know, I can't mom and dad come get me right now. Like you can't face your peers into shit happens. Literally and, shit happens. Yeah. We just have to <laughs> roll with it sometimes. Like, um, I mean, it's not going away. So <laughs> I mean, I can laugh about it or I can cry about it. One takes a lot less energy. So yeah. Um, well, and camp definitely gave me a great model for how to help students participate in a theater classroom. And there are three kiddos I've had recently that I can think about. And one of them was a young man with Down syndrome, um, whom I had that crazy, ridiculous hybrid year. And he was a student who needed um, one-on-one support to participate in any kind of meaningful way. And he ended up um, getting moved to a more restrictive environment. So as opposed to, and I forget exactly the the tiered system in Carrollton Farmers Branch ISD where I teach now, but he got moved from um, one slightly less self-contained room to like the completely self-contained room where he was better served. But um, it was like, okay, I forget what we were doing. I think I had them doing a video project where they just filmed introductions. And his, his aide, a wonderful woman, um, who was the aide that came from that classroom, had helped me kind of learn a little, a, a few things about him. So I was like, okay, well, everyone else is looking into a camera and saying, hi, my name is so-and-so. I like this. I like that. I'm blah, 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 blah. So we ended up, um, I made a visual for him and he could circle which thing he wanted to talk about. And it was like, hi, my name is, and we helped him write his name. And so he did all of that and then um, kind of stood off camera and prompted him to physically say what she was saying because he would do that. And so he recorded a video just like everybody else, right? And guess what? Did he do exactly what I wanted him to do? Yeah. On a level that was appropriate for him emotionally, academically. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's one example. And that was, that was straight up camp summit knowledge and thinking back to the days where I was making, you know, social stories and, you know, putting things in voice output devices and, and all of that stuff. And I have, um, I had two, so I had this fourth period. Um, it was always 30 kids. It was always 30 kids. And of these 30, I'm wanting to say either 13 or 14 were either on an IEP or a 504. And two of them were in the least restrictive, um, self-contained class. And that sweet, wonderful was able to come be there with me to start that class off, but then it was her lunch. So I had her for 15 minutes and then it was me me. Um, and this was, was this the class? Yes. One of my favorite kiddos, young man, um, on the autism spectrum and he hated theater. He wrote something mean about me in his notebook (laughs) the first week of class. It was like, this class sucks. F this class. I hate theater. (laughs) He just like hate it. And I was like, all right, that's fine. Might not be your bag. That's cool. Um, talk to the BRS about it. But by the end of this kid voluntarily, um, I don't know what, I don't even know what the turning point was, but by the end of the year, this kid was coming up to me every day saying, um, thank you, Ms. Duke. Thank you for teaching us. And thank you for teaching us every day. And I hope you have a great day. And that's what he would say on his way out of class. Um, somehow magically, I don't know how I pied pipered that one. I think, I think really it had to do with going back to respect and there's so there's no wrong answers in theater. Um, I had a young man who had, uh, has spina bifida but was ambulatory. Like he didn't need, he didn't need any assistance physically. Um, 
super shy though, super duper, duper, duper shy. And then another young lady and that young man and a young lady who were in the same class. Um, and she had a few, just a few kind of inappropriate behaviors, like turning around and talking to people while I'm talking or like, I think she poked me in the boob one day and I was like, no, that can never happen again. I was like, I don't know why I like a shirt. And I'm like, thank you. We can just, we can say that we don't have to. Um, and you know what, by the end of the year, let's see, I'm trying to think, I think for her monologue, we had her, we had, I had, I would always partner her with groups and I would always kind of tactfully approach the group and say, Hey, this is your super cool creative classmate. She needs a little help to know how to participate. Can you help me help her? And I'm like, yeah, miss, we got you. By the end of the year, they, they had kind of figured out ways to help the student participate. It was a lot of, they would kind of prompt and she would speak, but like, I mean, I saw, I saw groups and I kind of, kind of gave the kiddos ownership. And I was like, look, if you need my help, let me know. But otherwise just do the same thing that you would always do. And, you know, I would see them like, no, 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 stand over here. Yeah. 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 And then you're going to say that and you're going to do this. And so at the end of the day, everybody was participating and no, am I going to expect that student to get up and like fully memorize the monologue? Mm -mm. Um, but I will say, I will say, can't write them off because if I were to prompt her with something to say, she would copy it in my exact vocal inflection. So when this kiddo would get up to do a monologue, I'd be like, can I help you? And she'd be like, yeah. I'd be like, I say it, then you say it. She's like, you say it, I say it. And then I would say something and she would copy it exactly. That's so cool. That's so cool. I, yeah, meeting people where they're at, um, building up those behaviors. And like, there's something when, you know, when, when you shape up and you reinforce those small ones and you do it in such a way that it's, you know, the person's consenting to it, you know, they want to participate, they're investing themselves in it. I'm getting a little fluffy here, but I feel like those behaviors maintain over longer periods of time. They generalize a lot easier as opposed to sometimes we get caught up in like programming and like, you know, I have to deliver, you know, this token at this time and this praise statement at this time. And like, man, sometimes you just kind of let things flow and just occasionally periodically sprinkle some, hey, this looks good. I like this. Keep doing these things, you know, and they develop on their own. Like kids are pretty smart. Humans are pretty smart, you know, just because there's a, a label that goes with somebody like discounting them because of that is, is a horrible misjudgment. Like it's, it, yeah, it goes back to the whole, there's no risk. You're not respecting the person. Um, you know, you're, you're, you're setting up the environment in such a way that they're going to be successful in a way that makes them feel successful and empowered. Mm -hmm. And so that way they don't have to continue to rely on the sticker or the praise statement. It's like, no, man, I got this. So, you know, mm -hmm. I can take this situation that I've been in before and, okay, what did Miss Duke teach me? I can do, oh, I can say this. And if I say it this way, then it means this. Because yeah, that imitation skill has come in handy. Um, I live by movie quotes and theater quotes sometimes when I don't have my own words kind of deal. Yes, <laughs> so. yes, yes. So what were some of the other accommodations um, that you saw either at Camp Summit or that you've had to include with your students? Because you did mention the, the dual sensory impairment. Um, and again, I think that that's a really fascinating in the sense that 
it is not talked enough about. Um, we don't see a lot of that on social media. We don't see a lot of that representation um, in movies or in, in, and you see a little bit in theater. Um, but there's even, mm. you know, I, I've had discussions with myself um, and a few other people, I swear, there's other people present sometimes um, about, you know, BCBAs that have hearing and visual impairments. Um, and, you know, it's, it's just not something that we talk about a lot. So, you know, what kind of experiences did you have with that? And what kind of accommodations or, you know, did you guys have to, to work with? So I can probably speak with a little more confidence about the summer camp and how that worked, because in education. I'm one, I'm trying to think, and I know when I taught, when I taught my, my self-contained special ed classroom, which was technically called the developmental program, students that were learning on a developmental level. So it was a developmental classroom. Um, I had one student with a visual impairment. I'm not sure. I'm trying to think back. I've had one student who was on the autism spectrum that had an auditory impairment and used hearing aids, but it hasn't really coincided in public education the way it did at Camp Summit. So that week at Camp Summit, everything was, everything was sensory. Extra time in the pool. I mean, just anything that can hit those other senses, all of the senses, um, anything that smelled good, anything that felt good, um, lots of hand over hand, like guided activities where you're helping somebody participate in something in a meaningful way, but that's hitting their skill set. I have forgotten about this until just now, but the dance, we still had a dance that week and it was my absolute favorite because normally, and I haven't been out, they moved to their new facility. I want to say like five years ago. So they were in Argyle, Texas, not far from Denton. Um, now they're in Paradise, Texas. And we used to have a lodge with this big wooden deck on one side. And there were like porch swings and all that fun stuff. So for the dance, the week of the dual sensory impaired individuals, we would bring all the speaker system from the rec room because the dance was usually down our little like gym facility. We'd bring it up. We'd put those speakers face down on the deck. And then if they wanted to dance, they could dance or they could just lay around and feel the vibrations through the wood. They could swing. They could do whatever kind of motor sensory thing was hitting hitting them that right way. And like a lot of them, like we had individuals who were maybe only legally blind, but could had some ability to see um, whether light and shadow or maybe one eye versus the other eye. So they, it varied in severity, but to qualify for that week, they had to be at least legally deaf and legally blind. Um, I will never forget <laughs> the first time I accidentally yelled at a deafblind child. And I just, you know, you, you don't think, so the picture is this, you'll appreciate this. Um, it's that week. And it feels so weird because we could have every light blazing in the cabin and be like doing chores and cleaning. And they were all asleep. And I felt like a jerk, but I was like, wait, no, if they're asleep, okay, I'm just going to clean. I'm gonna do what I need to do. So we'd stayed up kind of like cleaning and I go to bed and we had these, you know, little bunks and there was like a thin mattress, and like a wire frame. It was kind of springy. So I'm asleep and all of a sudden I realize that somebody is sitting on the foot of my bed and like bouncing. And I'm like, what, what is going on? And I wake up, you know, and it's one of our campers who has somehow figured out that she could sit on the foot of my bed and bounce around. I had this duffel bag of clean clothes under my bunk. She has pulled it out and is flinging my clothes as she's bouncing. And I was like, stop it. What are you doing? Oh my God, stop. What are you doing? Stop. Oh my God, Sarah. <laughs> I didn't yell at her, but you know what I mean? It was that, Hey, what are you doing? And then I was like, Oh, okay. Okay. All right. 
then I very calmly got up, led her back to bed, covered her up and refolded all my clothes. It was kind of funny. Like it's the things you do as a <laughs> not visually or um, auditorily impaired person. Like you just, you don't think. No. Um, I had a, a buddy who um, I worked with he and his family and they called it his ears. And so when he would go to bed, he would take his ears off and they would remind me because I would start whispering like in the rest of the house, like, okay, and they're looking at me. And they're like, Kelly, he literally cannot hear you right now. See, watch. And they're, you know, clapping their hands, being so over the top because I just had, my brain just couldn't wrap around that. Um, and, and then I have put my, you know, because I let my brain wander sometimes. And that was one of the things that I was like, you know, when it comes to losing senses, um, you know, how scary that is. And for me, you know, losing my hearing um, would be a huge thing because while I love the theater and I love seeing everything, it's the music that sticks with me. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I love the other alternatives that you guys found, you know, putting the speakers face down so you could feel the vibrations in the bass. Um, I spoke with a, a couple friend of mine. Um, he was legally deaf and blind. And I was like, how do you go to concerts? Oh, it will take, sometimes we'll get like a glass of water and he'll hold the water mm-hmm. in his hands. And so he can feel the vibrations or take a balloon and feel so- the bass through the balloon. I'm like, that's so cool. Like, can I come hang out and just learn stuff and like figure out because it's, you know, the, the population that I work with now are primarily adults. Um, and a lot of them grew up, you know, in the nineties and the eighties when we did not have the sped classrooms that we do now and we did not you know in they're 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 getting better they are getting better um but a lot of these individuals never got to have those experiences because no one took the time um and or they didn't have time they didn't have resources there wasn't the knowledge out there now and so now you know I'm, I'm looking around trying to find events for these individuals to go to because they still need a community too and they still need to be able to go and participate you know, if they want to, in these things that the rest of us get to experience because we're quote unquote normal, you know, and, and so being able to have some of those little things in, in my toolbox is really nice because it's like, yeah, you know, you, you may not think about going to a concert with your, you know, individual in the wheelchair, you know, whatever, but here's how we can do it safely. And here's how we can make it enjoyable. You know, let's, you know, let them hold a balloon or we go up, we don't have to go all the way to the front row, you know, just being able to, again, say yes to everything. There's no wrong answer. It's, it's a great time to be creative um, in a world that, like you said, has, has, has said no and shut down a lot of those behaviors. Um, and if we know anything from, you know, experimenting with rats as we do, if this is one of my morose examples of like, if you keep shocking a rat, um, you know, you've got the electric grid, it will eventually just freak out and it will just sit in a corner and be terrified. Like, and that's how a lot of our, our, our individuals can end up becoming and our learners can end up in those situations, not just with themselves, but their caregivers as well, because they'd never had that experience. So, with kind of with with that thought, um, I mean, you still have to work with parents. Um, so what kind of things do you try to incorporate with the parents of your students to help, you know, facilitate that same respect and creativity and growth um, when they're not in your classroom and they actually, you know, have to go home? So it's different. It's different these days um, with teaching middle school and the community in which I teach. There's not a ton of parent engagement. And we're working to get more. Um, so by far and large, I have not had a lot of interactions 
with parents, um, specifically of students with disabilities. I mean, there's Meet the Teacher Night, there's the parents of my like top theater class kiddos. Um, and I've actually had a few, I've had a few kiddos with IEPs come through that group as well. Um, I had a young lady who used to stab people with pencils. <laughs> her family, her family was interesting. Her family was a little spiky. I forget how I made, I made her dad mad once. Uh, I was sending communications via email and I just used the first email address in the student, you know, like portal profile. And then I sent another email through this other, but like neither of them were hitting his email. They were hitting his wife and he accused me of not sharing information. And then he, he came back and apologized. He's like, um, I found it. I'm really sorry. I'm like, no, you're good. You're good. But I'm like, now I'm maybe understanding why your daughter was fond of stabbing people with pencils. Um, but put that child on stage. And as far as I know, that's the first play she ever did. It's a great play called Wiley and the Hairy Man. And it's set in the swamps, right? Fictitious story. Uh, Wiley is very afraid of the hairy man. And his mammy is like, his mammy, his mom is kind of magic. And so it's all about Wiley out in the swamp, you know, getting rid of his fear of the hairy man. But mammy was written in a very particular Southern Patois, shall I say, um, not full on Louisiana, but you know, it's, it's a very much like a time and a place. And this sweet baby, the only person who could handle that language, her first time on stage, and she won best performer at our contest. She and then the, the actor playing Wiley, we swept that year. But like, you never know. Just because somebody's stabbing people with pencils doesn't mean they're not going to be an incredible actor. And that sweet child is still active in theater in high school now. Like she was in the musical they did last year. Um, I think she's done UIL and some other things. And it's like, I can't take credit for that. She found her way to me. She chose to take theater but thankfully the way that I teach it was accessible enough that at the end of that, that first year of intro, she auditioned to be in my top class. And she said some things that were a little off-putting and it, I had to kind of finesse those relationships, but we made it work and she went on to do really cool things. You just, you never know. You never know what someone's capable of because they might not know how to show you right off the bat. And like, I know you'll totally agree with this. I mean, all behavior is communication. All behavior is communication, all of it, 100%. Um, most things that people would describe as like bad behavior acting out are usually adult error because there's some communication that we've missed. Um, and it's all about taking that communication, i.e. stabbing people with pencils and saying, hey, that's not really productive. Um, if you're stabbing people with pencils, we're going to have these problems. Can you maybe do this instead? Can you maybe do that instead? And, you know, theater's kind of the same way. Hey, I love that line. Can you try saying it this way? When you say it this way, I feel like you mean this, but can you try it that way instead? You're not doing anything wrong, but I think this will fit better. And that idea, again, of there being fewer wrong answers or no wrong answers in theater, it's like, no, it all works, but this works better, faster, clearer, I think is a, is a great life skill. And what can help students like my sweet, no longer stabby friends, um, who I think will be a senior. No, maybe a junior. Let me slow down time. <laughs> Alrighty, amazing listeners. The second of your two keywords is rational. R-A-T-I-O-N-A-L. Behavior is rational. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, channel it. You know, that energy is coming from somewhere. Those emotions are coming from somewhere. And if you've never been taught the words, or again, you've tried to have words and it's been punished, then I'm going to resort to other things. And 
you know, sometimes it's scripting, you know, I'm going to murder this person. Sometimes it's legitimately, you know, wanting to hit somebody with a pencil. Yeah. I was friends with some of those kids. And then you do, you kind of learn to go, what can we do differently this time? You know, what's, what is a better way to communicate that you're trying to get across? And if it's just, you need to go outside and scream, outstanding. Let's go do that. Um, So as we're kind of like, you know, wrapping up and everything, I, since you're not, since you're not working with with parents as much, but um, since you don't have as much interaction with parents right now, what are some of the recommendations that you would give um, either that you have given to other teachers or that you would kind of give to, you know, maybe some of the professionals, AKA behavior analysts, sometimes when we come in um, and maybe not do things as freely, or maybe we get a little too rigid. Um, But what are just some, you know, ideas that we can kind of take home and put in our toolbox to help, you know, make these learning opportunities more engaging and more productive and not just in the, look, I checked off a box, you got an A, but like, what's the long-term projection of this skill, man? Like, yeah, it's important to know how to sort my colors, but at this, you know, why? And the same thing with like these theater moments and these kind of um, ways of learning. I would say... Um, to other adults out there serving young people, whether they be neurotypical or not, um, don't forget to have fun. Don't forget to find ways to make things fun. Students love my class because it's fun. Um, and that can be really overwhelming sometimes because then I'm like, well, crap, I've got to make this fun. I've got to make it fun. I've got to make it fun. How do I make it fun? So like the weight of fun can feel like a lot, but really it's, it's just, it's simple things like, we all, we all enjoy having fun. We all enjoy whatever it is that makes us feel happy. It's that little dopamine serotonin boost. But I think my encouragement would be be observant, figure out what makes people tick. What do they love? Is it music? Let's find more ways to incorporate music. Is it playing games? Is it reading? Like what, whatever it is that feeds your child's or your client's or your student's souls, find what is that? What feeds their souls? find more of that, work it in. If it's not part of your regular repertoire, sometimes, you know, happy accidents. I can't think of a good example right now, but it's like, I found that classes really loved. Oh man, there was one year I had really weird, tiny classes. It was hard to play theater games. So instead of like trying to play theater games awkwardly with like eight kids, I found that they loved, they loved card games. And so I'm like, all right, instead of rewarding you with a theater game day. Let's play a card game day. What card game do you want to play? We'll all play Uno together. I'll teach you how to play this other game. Um, What little things reward you? Like I had my seventh period class, that weird hybrid year, 2021. Um, These poor babies, these were the ones on campus. And by the end of the day, they've been sitting and staring at screens all day. So we cleaned, we wiped off our desks with our COVID cleaner and all that stuff five minutes early. And every day I gave them a chat break. And some days it was an eight minute chat break. Some days it was a five minute chat break. And then I found that they loved wadding up pieces of paper and like playing basketball in the trash can and other classes would be like, no, but I was like, if that's what you want to do, do it, but don't get violent. No violence, please. And, um, just pick up what you make sure that you, you throw your trash away. What else can I do to support you? How else can I help? And I think the question that I always try and ask students that I think maybe more adults could ask, and I'm sure they do, but it's, what can I do to support you? What do you need? And like, obviously, depending on the individual in question, sometimes they don't know or can't tell you what they need, but be observant, 
find more ways to have fun and never forget to ask, what do you need? How can I support you? Because I think one of the number one adult mistakes we make is, oh, let me swoop in and do this. Let me fix this for you. Let me circumvent that. And no, 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 no. We're just gonna, as opposed to saying, what do you need right now? How can I support you? Um, another question I ask is like, what would make you feel respected? What would make you feel heard? And clearly I'm talking about kiddos with, you know, 11, 12, 13 and 14 year olds who've got the verbal skills and social emotional skills to articulate that. And if they say, I don't know, I say, that's okay. When you think of something you need, is there, what can I do to help you feel safer here? What can I do to help you feel heard here? When you think of it, tell me, I want to know. And I think just, just being open and um, finding, finding fun, finding ways to incorporate fun into everyday life because we could all use more fun. No joke. So speaking of fun, um, we'll kind of wrap up with a couple of fun little questions. Um, what is the, your favorite production that you have seen on stage or like top three? Oh gosh. Okay. So the theater company I work for um, is part of the National New Play Network. So we do a lot of great brand new plays. I'm biased, obviously. And um, the first live production I saw after COVID, right? Well, I mean, not after mid COVID, the first live production I went back to see after we um, shut down was called Good Latimer, which is a street that goes into Deep Ellum. And so it's written about a guy named Good. And it's kind of the story of his life. And um, at one point they had on stage a car a bedroom, a living room scene. And there was an actual piece of concrete. And at one point um, they, they talk about how deep Ellum in Dallas, they built um, a train station over the original, the original good Latimer tunnel. I don't know if you remember, but like nineties, early two thousands, amazing graffiti. I loved driving through it. I felt infinitely cooler just like going through, but they, they covered it up. So at one point at the end of this play, you see the character trying to jackknife down into and they had an actual piece of concrete and an actual like jackknife. So he's on stage like geek, 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 trying to go through and we were masked up and socially distant, but I was like, oh, live theater. That's really cool. Okay. Um, second nerdy question. Your favorite one that you've uh, actually been a part of. Ooh, Okay. So I haven't, I haven't, but I haven't flexed, flexed those acting chops in a while. Um, gosh, favorite show to be a part of. Well, the last one I just, just did was pretty amazing. And I was the stage manager and it was five local playwrights who wrote short one act plays. Each one focused on one of the five senses. And we played all five of these plays back to back to back to back one night of theater. Um, same set, same actors. It was called high five. And it was incredible and super stressful, but mostly incredible. And it will stick with me a long time. The last play was about smell and the characters were not people, but they were little tree car air fresheners. You know, the little tree shape that like hang from your rear view mirror. And so it was a whole conversation between little tree car air fresheners. And now I'm kind of obsessed. I see them everywhere. There's, there's one in my car right now. <laughs> it's definitely a better thought. Cause I went to the movie seven and anyway, yeah, yours oh. is a much happier thought. Sorry, I think little trees. Nope, gonna think of little happy trees talking to each other now, and now Bob Ross is in my head, and the whole world is better. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, so the last thing I want um, is if you could talk a little bit about the charity um, that you um, are part of the board of, so that way if people would like to help donate, we will make sure to have um, contact information for that. I promise, guys, I really am getting that put together I just life has happened lately um but I am keeping track of all of the the charities and organizations that our guests have um 
asked that people can donate to if they would like. So if you could talk a little bit about uh, Rising Hope, is that right? Hope Rising. Hope Rising. Hope Rising. So, um, okay. It all started in sleepy little McKinney, Texas in 2012. And I have a great friend named Lisa Miller, who is our board president and lighting designer. She is a fabulous human. She is incredible. She's a powerhouse. And they, she put on a production of certain monologues about a certain part of the female anatomy. Am I allowed to say that word? Okay. Vagina. <laughs> we did the vagina monologues. And we had a whole talk on sex a while back where we, we discussed a lot okay, of things. I want to make sure I'm respecting boundaries. This is a part of my theater life. I don't tell my students about as much just because middle school. Um, so they, they put on a production of the vagina monologues and managed to raise like five grand Easter weekend in McKinney, Texas. And Lisa was like, Oh crap, we've got it. And I was not part of that first production, but uh, my friend Ruth was, she's like my stage manager, bestie. Um, so she was like, Hey, Lisa's looking for people. Do you want in? And I was like, yes, I want in. So I went to McKinney, Texas to the courthouse. And there was this group of us women who sat down for like four hours and wrote bylaws. And I thought I was going to scream. I was like, what are we even doing? We wrote bylaws. We applied for a 501c3. We got it. We have put on several more um, productions of vagina monologues. We've done other mainly women-centric plays, things like Love, Loss, and What I Wore. Um, oh, gosh. There was this really, we, we made this fun, like, mashup night of theater. And the first half of the night was, um, it was a one-act play. And it's <laughs> three fetuses in the womb about to be born. And they're talking about what they think is on the outside. And I forget what it's called, but it was hilarious. And there was an all male cast. And then the second half of the evening was an all female cast. And there, it was like a selection of scenes and monologues. Yours truly had to memorize like a 10 minute long monologue. And the proceeds from that event went to the family place, which is a nonprofit in Dallas that's working on opening one of the first um, male domestic violence shelters. So everything we do, everything we do is to raise money, which we then give away to an organization that supports survivors of domestic violence or sexual abuse. We've done a lot for um, Hope Store. We've done a lot for The Turning Point, which is the only rape crisis center in all of Collin County. They do amazing, amazing free work for all kinds of people. Um, Hope Store has a shelter and also a counseling program. We've done stuff for the family place. We've done stuff for, there's a lady we met, um, Ashley's Patience Project, uh, Tara, Ashley. Anyway, it's a mother whose daughter lost her life to domestic violence and then lobbied to get the laws changed in Oklahoma about filing for protective orders because that's how her daughter, that's how her aggressor figured out where she was. So we haven't done much because of COVID. We just had our first like face-to-face -face board meeting and um, myself and another team, yay, I know, finally sat down and finished rewriting those crazy, ridiculous, obtuse bylaws that we all sort of figured out how to write years ago. And I know we're looking to um, expand our board and expand our membership, get a little more diverse, uh, a little more diversity, because right now we have a bunch of white ladies. We're like, hang on, hang on, hang on. We need to, we need to get more voices at this table. And I'm not sure when our next production will be, but uh yeah, we're just, we're just kind of figuring out what we can do. And obviously with the economy being the way it is and with so many people suffering economic hardship, uh, they've talked about trying to get things up. And I'm like, wait, A, COVID is still going around. B, um, a lot of people's pockets aren't as deep as they used to be. So before we go getting, because we would do like um, donations, raffle, silent auction, 
and then ticket sales. And then all that money we'd give away and keep 10% just to kind of help bankroll the next production. So that's what we hope to get back to when we get back to what we do. Very cool. Very cool. Um, especially having the, the first men's one. Cause I know it, that's not, I've seen a few more signs lately about like, Hey, also men, human trafficking, domestic violence, like that is a thing. It's not to be laughed at or joked about. Um, so where, if people are interested in contacting you, where can they find you on the social medias? Cause I mean, if you're, um, you know, interested, I think it'd be great for people to reach out either for the nonprofit or, you know, to touch base with you if they have any questions. So Hope Rising has a page on Facebook. I don't think we have Instagram and I, let me, you know, I'm going to open a web browser real fast. Pardon my crazy, weird, searchy eyes. Pretty sure it's www.hope. I mean, I could have totally helped by looking these things up, but this is so much more entertaining for an audio medium. (laughs) Okay, great. The website is www.hoperising, H-O-P-E-R-I-S-I-N-G-T-X.org is our website. Um, We have a Facebook page. And then I personally am on Facebook and I am also on uh, Instagram. Excellent. 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 Well, cool. Um, well, I will put, if you guys are interested in CEs, I'm going to stick that in the chat real quick. So you guys can take a look at that. Um, or if you want to donate, that's, you know, we always strongly recommend since we can't pay our guests right now. Um, one day, one day. Um, but until then, you know, I would love if people would donate to good causes and further good humans doing, you know, kick-ass amazing things to help make the world a slightly better place and and one that's really kind of scary sometimes, most days, a lot of days. So, um, but thank you guys so much. This has been, uh, I yeah, I will talk theater and nerdy stuff all day long um, if you let me. And it's been really fun because uh, I sent Sarah a picture earlier today of like my collection of theater playbills and I'm adding one more for the end of this season. We have Mean Girls showing at Bass Hall in Fort Worth. So it's going to be a delight. My mother was a sweet, sweet cinnamon roll and goes, did you know it was written by Tina Fey? Yeah, sure did. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. She's another INTP. I love her. I think she's wonderful. And and again, it's one of those people here about like introverts and like, well, they can't be an introvert because look, they're on stage. And it's like, no, 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 you don't understand. There's, there's different energy levels that can happen. And like, I know a lot of, a lot of theater people that you would also consider to be very introverted um, because like, that's the stage and that's that up there. And then when I'm all done, now I come back here and I recover and we go. So, but thank you so much. Like I said, this has been awesome. Um, I love being able to see and hear and learn about different ways that we can start building some skills. Um, and, you know, and it's, it's not limited to just little guys or schools. Like these are things that anyone can have in their toolbox and pull out at any time. So, you know, my challenge is, you know, think about the kind of programs that you're doing with your peeps, you know, if, if watch their engagement, you know, are they having fun? Is there a way that you could make this a little bit better um, or a little bit more engaging or like you've been talking about more of them, of them led, you know, it's saying yes to what they want to do. So, you know, if I want to go and run my cards over here, like that's cool, man. We don't have to sit at the table all the time. Like that's just a weird 
construct that we've somehow put in our brains that that's where everyone should work. And now, man, for some of us, I'm much better on the floor. Like I'm a floor person. I've been sitting on the couch the whole time and I'm not comfortable on it, but that's okay. So, all right. But thank you guys so much. Um, I love you all beautiful humans. Be nice to each other, be kind, and uh, we'll see you later. Bye. Thank you for listening to this adventure of the Atypical Behavior Analyst. Check out the website, atypicalba.com, for more episodes, references, and to purchase CEUs. To stay up to date, like and follow us on social media. Just search Atypical Behavior Analyst. If you like the show, please rate and leave us a review. And if you want to support the show but don't need CEUs, you can help by clicking the Buy Us a Coffee link in the show notes. So until next time, listeners, grab your towel, keep exploring, and we'll see you in the fringes. Welcome back. We're so glad that you stuck around. Okay, enough of that. But thank you for sticking around. So, as promised, here is a preview from episode 43. Give it a listen and we'll see you soon. The cool thing about what Moss is explaining is that the constructional approach is not a procedure. Oh, yeah. It's it's not constructional affection and constructional aggression treatment are the constructional approach. Those are just two procedures that are designed with the constructional approach in mind and with the intention to be applied constructionally. Well, hey, and if you notice, this is episode 42, and 42 is the answer to the universe, meaning of life, and all of those things. So um, to uh, honor that fun little moment, if you pop over to our website and want to purchase a CE for only $5, you can use the coupon code 42, just the number, the numbers four and two put together, meaning of life. Cheers. We'll see you on the fringes.